You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the Bible one book at a time. We do it in a three-step process. We read it, we think about it, and then we apply it. And I'm Andrew Kingsley, and with me is Drew Kaiser. And today we are in the letter to the Philippians. And we are going to start in verse 12 today. Uh, We just got through talking about the first paragraph of chapter 2. We talked a lot about humility and then we talked about the Christ hymn found in verses 5 through 11. Lots of stuff packed into that that we've covered. And now based off of that that we have already covered, off of the ground that we've already covered in this letter, the things that we've already read from Paul, what we're going to read today is built upon that. And you can see the very first word in verse 12 is therefore. And I'm just going to go ahead and read verses 12 and 13 really fast. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, a very common theme in Paul's letters is this uh, continuity, kind of moving in a linear fashion. Paul's always... um, his thoughts are always building upon his previous thoughts. And you can see that in verse 12. The very word is therefore. Maybe if you've got a NIV, the first words are so then. He's picking up where he left off. And um, I really like what Roper has done in his uh, Truth For Today commentary, the way he's outlined this passage. Um, he basically calls it a Christian job description. Now keep in mind that this is based on what we've already read. But it, uh, he outlines it like this. Uh, he uses that phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in verse 12, and kind of applies that to verses 12 through 18. He says, you can work reverently. And you see that he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then in verse 13, we should work confidently. And you can see there, he says, it is God who works in you. That certainly gives us cause to be confident knowing that it is God that works in us. Verse 14, we can work willingly. Verse 14 reads uh, like this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Verse 15, we should work blamelessly. Uh, Paul writes this, uh, verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Verse 15, So that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Then in verse 16, we see that we should be working steadfastly. You can see he picks up right there and says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And then when we get to these last two verses, we have the idea of working joyfully. And see what Paul says in verse 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul is, and there's a lot of stuff here that we'll get into in our next section of going a little bit deeper, but Paul is building upon this Christ hymn that he has just done, and now he says, Okay, so now, therefore, I want you guys to obey, just like you've always obeyed. I want you to keep on obeying. I want you to work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling, and then he's got kind of the how you're supposed to work out your salvation. I noticed something that uh, when I was looking over this this afternoon in preparation for the podcast, that kind of echoes what we have seen before in this talk about, in verse 12, where he starts with today's reading, uh, you know, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. The same mm-hmm. concern that we saw in chapter 1, verse 27 let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. And mm-hmm. I wonder if there's anything to that, or if, you know, we have to remember we're reading a letter, so it's only natural for certain themes to come back up again. It's, there's, uh, you know, some repetition, but as you've been pointing out, Paul is very linear in his thinking, and I'm just wondering if this belongs with that, and if we're looking at, you know, um, bookends around this wonderful, you know, um, call to humility that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's now, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I'm just yeah. wondering if there's anything to the structure there, or maybe it's just, uh, you know, coincidence, and he's just bringing it up over and over again, because it's something that everybody's aware of. He's in prison. They're unable to see him and be with him. And he's concerned about you know how they're going to behave in his absence. Um, yeah. But I, I, I guess my question is maybe this whole section is really chapter one verse twenty seven through chapter two verse eighteen. If you're outlining it in a different way, of course mm-hmm. we're looking at themes of joy, so we're yeah. kind of splitting it up differently. But maybe that's all there is to take away from it is that the the larger section here is chapter one verse twenty seven through chapter 2, verse 18. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that doesn't add anything to it at all. Yeah, either way, there are very similar ideas right there from verses 27 to 30 because he's saying, let your manner of life be worthy so that whether I come to you or an absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. And that's kind of this idea of having a manner of life worthy of the gospel is again what he's talking about over here in chapter 2 and verse 12. He's telling him to keep on obeying. Just like you did from the start, keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I think It's a natural concern of a parent with a child. Yeah. You know, a kid goes off to college. Mm-hmm. The anxiety over, okay, now that he's not with me, what's he going to be doing? Uh, of a preacher with his congregation, an elder with his congregation. Yeah. Um, you know, anybody that you've been trying to bring along in Christ, there comes a point where they have to do this without you being there. And mm-hmm. that's the natural anxiety. And, you know, there's that uh, reference in Second Corinthians chapter 11 when he's listing all of his trials and sufferings. And at the top of the list was his daily anxiety over the churches. Mm-hmm. And you see that kind of bleed through the text as we're looking at it today. I don't know. It's just something that keeps coming up in Philippians. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, and this is definitely a big part of the reason I think that Paul is so happy with them. You know, we read in chapter 1, verse 3, that he thanks God in all of his remembrance, that he's very joyful when he thinks about him, makes his prayer with joy in chapter 1, and verse 4. But he said that of the Corinthians, too. Yeah. They did not. Yeah, true. <laughs> They did not earn that. That was a, a matter of grace there. So. Yeah. But I do I do think you're right that yeah. Philippians uh, were exemplary people. Although, you know, we're going to see and have seen some 
some problems that he gently addresses in the letter. Okay, so there are several things that we can look at from this passage, but the first thing that I want to look at is right here in the first verse of this passage. In verse 12, we'll read it again. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I think this verse has caused its fair share of confusion among uh people that are Christians or that believe, you know, believe in well, it's Christ. it's not the verse's fault. Yeah, it's not the verse's fault. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I didn't mean to make it sound like that, but it's... I knew what you meant. Uh, people have had problems with this verse. Twisted. Um, yeah. And I've heard it used in a couple different ways. Um, one, people have a problem with it because it talks about working out your own salvation. Kind of saying, well... Uh, that would imply that we earn our own salvation through the things that we do. Uh, subjective salvation. Yeah. And then Everybody off... does what's right for him. Okay, yeah. And that's, that... the, that's the second oh, that's... thing, actually. Okay, well, let me get the first one. Okay. Because evidently I misunderstood. Say it, it again. It's an idea that we are capable of earning our own salvation. Oh, earning, earning yeah. salvation through works. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. People have a kind of problem. Like a pharisaical approach. Exactly. Work. Em- emphasizing the work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. So that's the first Yeah. twisted interpretation. And the second one is the one you were just mentioning. Like I jumped the, ahead of you. Yeah. Sub- the, the second one is a subjective salvation. Yeah. Kind of like uh, that phrase, your own salvation. I've heard this. People have said this to me, um, saying, well, you can't really impose what you think is right or wrong on me because you go work out your own salvation mm-hmm. I'll work out mine so you can't tell me what to do and both of those ideas are flawed they're wrong because they miss the point of what's going on here um, and you can see that in several different things the first thing I think is the phrase work out it's translated uh, from a word that really carries the weight of bringing about, you know, making something, uh, in the process of making something happen. You know, when you're talking, when you tell someone to work this out, it's kind of got the idea of this is going to, it's not something like complete this task. Uh, It's an idea of you're going to have to do some things to reach the completion. I don't know if I'm making any sense here. But it's an idea of try and bring something bring it about. to completion. Yeah, uh, the new century version. But let me let me see if I'm, I'm right okay. on this. So, to use that interpretation, salvation, and I'm using air quotes here. Mm-hmm. Salvation does not refer to conversion, but the finishing of your salvation, keeping the saved saved. Yes, kind of thing. Exactly. So That's we're not looking thing. at. You know, getting baptized or whatever somebody thinks that they have to do to be saved. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, after conversion, working on 
the salvation, bringing it to completion. Yeah. Which reminds me of Second Peter 1, 5 through 11 or so, where um, make your calling and election sure. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a parallel idea, yeah. don't you think? Yeah. Right? It's definitely not the idea of figure out how to be saved on your own. You figure out how you need to be saved. Let other people figure out how they need to be saved. And uh, people that believe in once saved, always saved, really don't like this verse right. uh, because this does teach exactly what you just said. It's not the point of salvation. You know, the uh, when you come out of the waters of baptism, you know, as Romans 6 teaches that you are raised in newness, you know, something new there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the idea of, Roper paraphrases it well, I think, in his commentary says, Paul's basically giving them this idea. You made a good start when you were baptized to be saved from your past sins, and you have led lives of service since then, but now is not the time to stop. There is still mm-hmm. work to be done. So it's kind of that idea of uh, the New Century trans- New Century Version translates this as keep on working to complete your salvation. That sounds good. Yeah. That's I think that's the idea here, and I really think they've they nailed it with that idea of keep on working. You know, do the things that you gotta do to make your salvation a reality. It's not a you know, make sure that you do all these tasks and check off these lists to make sure that you are saved, but it is you have been baptized into Christ. You have put on Christ. You've been obedient from the beginning. Now keep on working towards it and make it a reality so that on the day that you go, you know, on the day that you leave this earth, that it's going to happen. You mm-hmm. know? And I think that's the idea there rather than, you know, make sure you're doing this. And, and you never quite, I guess we should. Man, there's so many things I want to interject on here. First of all, I want to make sure we've taken care of the first, the two misinterpretations with that. I mean, I, I think we didn't have to address earn your own salvation because that's so contrary to gospel teaching that that doesn't fit into the large context of everything. You didn't really address that one, right? Yeah, that's just the- so some people use it as for a works-based salvation, but... You can go to Ephesians two eight and nine, or um, you know Romans five one, or some passage like that to show that mm-hmm. you know we're saved by grace, or we're saved through faith, not yeah. not a result of works. Um, but the second one, work out your own subjective idea. You're mm-hmm. addressing that by saying work out doesn't have to do with your conversion, but completing your work as a Christian. Yeah. So they're on a totally different subject than this passage. This yeah. passage is not talking about the plan of salvation. Exactly. It's talking about so, living uh, living a Christian life, like fulfilling Christian duty mm-hmm. is the idea here. And that's you know the idea that he started. And the more we talk about this now, the more I'm thinking that when you said maybe this really... St- this whole concept starts in verse 27. I think you're exactly right of chapter 1. Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 27, because he says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is still tacked on to that same idea. Yeah, because it is. all through there, right. when he starts chapter 2, he's saying, If there is any encouragement in Christ, be unified, be humble, 
like Christ was humble. So now, as you've always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's, okay. And I think also the kind of to this is the the other point I have to this thing about my salvation, your salvation. That possessive phrase, your own salvation, is certainly not used to imply that my salvation is any different from yours, or that we have a different. A lot of religious groups think, well, we are saved according to our ideas, and they're saved according to theirs. It's not like we have different avenues of salvation here. Like, But, a, but it, because of the use of the word own, it does have to be a unique experience for each person in some yeah. sense, just not in the sense that you're, you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But let's see if we can throw out examples. Let's say somebody had a really bad drug addiction, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they get clean, they obey the gospel, they get in a you know, a spiritual um, 12-step program, and are, they're doing really well. They fall off the wagon. They, you know, go through another period of, um, you know, sin and, and addiction, and then manage to come back through faith to to the gospel again, and that's their story. Yeah. Then, then there's somebody like me. I got... You know, I was raised in a in a good, solid home, a preacher's home. I was raised in the church. My struggles are not anything like that person's struggles, mm-hmm. but I have other challenges. You know that may maybe I'm challenged with, um, you know, self righteousness, or maybe I'm I'm challenged by my religion getting stale, my faith getting stale, and mm-hmm. um, hypocrisy, and some of the things that come with people raised in a religious environment. Yeah. So my my salvation, I have to work out things that the drug addict doesn't have to work out. He has mm-hmm. to work out things that I don't have to work out. So in that sense, it is our own salvation. Salvation is basically getting pulled out of danger. Yeah. So his danger, the the end product of the salvation is the same for everybody. And the mm-hmm. solution for salvation is the same for everybody, yeah. but the danger is different for everybody. That's good. It's so, actually writing that. You know, down one right guy's there. got drugs. One guy's got sexual immorality. One guy's got self righteousness. One guy's got all of those. You know, everybody's got their own situation to be pulled out of, and the journey, the the path is different only insofar as it comes from different dangers, but it all heads through the same channel. To the same source, which mm-hmm. is eternal life. Yeah, and so uh, I, I think that may help put everything together there. Yeah, and I think that I think some folks might have a hard time separating what you just said from the channel and the source. Uh, at least yeah. that has been my experience. Well, they want to make. I mean, look, if we can say that. Own refers to the channel also, then yeah. you can go to heaven any way you want to go to heaven. Yeah. And then, if we can apply it to the source, then you can go to whatever heaven you want to go to. Yeah. But that's absurd. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. that, you know, that just doesn't work. That's So, own has to mean something. It just doesn't yeah. refer to the channel or the source. It refers to the, the beginnings part. Yeah. And the path that, you know, it's just like, there are 
you know, if I, if I ask you which is the way to New York City, the answer is going to depend on where I'm standing at the time. If I'm in yeah. Pensacola, Florida, I'm going to get a different answer than if I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. Um, that's, that's you know, what own applies to is the, the beginning, the starting point. Yeah, I think it's, and you can see even more of that phrase, what that phrase is meaning when you take it in context and we don't just pull this verse out because when you think, well, he just got through talking about uh, this, what we called last time, the Christ hymn. And look what he was talking about in the Christ hymn. He said in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And he goes on to say how everybody's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord the glory uh, to the glory of God the Father. Now, right after that, he says, okay, so Christ, and, and even back up further, he says, I want you guys to be humble, like Christ was humble. Here's how Christ was humble. He was obedient to the point of death, so God raised him up. So, I want you guys to work out your own salvation. Kind of this idea of Christ was saved. Christ is, God raises up Christ. That's what I'm trying to say here. God raised up Christ because of Christ's humility and obedience to the Father. Now he's saying, I want you guys to have your own experience of that. Mm-hmm. So you need to work out your own, you know. But you it may guys, not involve a, cr- a cross on Calvary. Yeah. But it's going to be a cross of some kind. Mm-hmm. Whatever way it is, you need to be obedient to the point of death, and God's going to raise you up. Yeah, that I think that's the idea here. So when we say your own salvation, it's not, well, you get to God through worship and through the Bible and through everything the Bible says. I get to God through just personal experience. That doesn't work. There's Like we said, there's one channel. There's one, you know, Jesus said, I am the way. So there's one way to get there, and there's one destination to go to. Now, everybody's experience of that is going to be different. But everybody has the same salvation in the sense of we're all saved by the same thing. We all are saved by grace that is nothing on what we have done, but just the free gift of grace that's given to us. And we come to that... uh, in the same way. You know, all of us have to be obedient in the same way to what he has taught, to what God has taught, to what Christ has taught. Now, we're all going to experience that in different ways, like you said. Yeah. Work out little issues here and there, like uh, you have said. But at the end of the day, we can't read this verse and think that I can just figure out how to get to God on my own without having to be obedient Mm -hmm. to God. Right. Hey, uh, here's another thing, and you, I think you may have said this, but if Paul is saying this, then there is an implication that it is possible to fall away yeah. and lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's you. You said that some folks who believe in once saved, always saved, do not like this verse. In other yeah. words, they try to reinterpret the verse. Yes, and they. 
and I, I have an application on this one, so I'm not going to say much about it now, but their reinterpretation is to lean on uh, verse 13 more than verse 12. And they'll say, well, you know, you work out your own by letting God work it out. And God doesn't fail, so if God saves you, you're saved. And you mm-hmm. can't be lost. But, you know, Paul writes to a group of Christians in Galatians 5.4 saying, you've been severed from Christ. Yeah, You have fallen from grace. So how can you say you can't fall from grace when Paul says to a group of Christians, you have fallen from grace? And there are numerous other examples where, well, any example where, and we've seen several already in this letter, where an inspired writer is telling his readers, work towards salvation. Make your calling and election sure. Do not, do not stop. You know, keep going, obey, be holy, be sanctified, stop sinning, don't give your mortal members over to sin, don't be slave yeah. to sin, be slave to... Anytime you have those commandments, they're there, the implication is, if you don't, then you're going to fall away and lose your salvation. Yeah, We've got a whole letter written to try to stop that from happening, it's called Hebrews. You've yeah. got a group of Christians who are thinking about leaving Christianity and the whole letter is about how don't do this, and chapter 6 really gets into it uh, in depth. If you do this, you're going to fall away, and you'll be lost forever. So, um, you know, that that's an implication here. And there's one more thing that I wanted to point out. These, these two verses are just so rich, and, you know, we're going to come back to them for application, too. Yeah. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out, just to make sure everybody knows what we're saying is, when we say work out your own salvation, we say that doesn't mean your conversion, but it means your lifestyle, you know, your your Christian living. We don't mean that anybody ever gets perfect before he dies, right? Right. Uh, somebody may, you know, object to what we're saying and say, well, that's impossible. Or they'll say, well, salvation is not for me because I'll never be perfect and I make mistakes and I slip up and sin and I'm in violation of this, so I've lost my salvation. That's not yeah. what we're saying, and the Bible doesn't teach that. There's there's three kinds of holiness. I use this in sermon, and I borrowed it from Jack Evans Jr. Heard him say it one time. Let me see if I can remember it. There's three types of holiness in our lives that we need to be concerned about. There's positional holiness, where God makes you holy in Jesus Christ, and that's First Corinthians six eleven. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There is progressive holiness, which is what we're talking about here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be holy for I am holy, 1 Peter 1.16. Keep working on it. Don't stop. And then there's perfected holiness, and you can't do that. And that's in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, where Paul says, He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That's when we'll be made perfect in holiness. But in the meantime, let's be pure as he is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. We've got to work towards it as a way of anticipating the final holiness which God will complete. That's no, you know, the Knowing that God will complete our holiness is no excuse for giving up on the idea and saying, well, God's going to do it, so I don't have anything to do. I'm going to stop right there, shy of some applications that you know really bring this home. That that we'll do in the next the next part. But yeah, I wanted to throw those things out too. 
Yeah, and I just want to kind of... I mean, I don't know if I'm going to offer anything new, but I guess at least to think myself through it, we're definitely not implying that we can reach, you know, completion of our salvation. It's not something that we can do by any efforts of ourselves. And I think, you know, that's one of the things uh, that we mentioned that people kind of take this the wrong way, uh, misinterpreted, I guess. But the idea is certainly that we have, and this is probably what we're thinking, of, this is probably getting into application here, but we have a part here. There's a covenant. You know, covenant mm-hmm. is, is, there's something on each side here. We've got a responsibility. We can't just say, yeah, God, I love you. All right, I'm going to go just check out and do my own thing, and I'll I'll see you on Judgment Day, and we'll be cool. It's not. Yeah, that's no way to treat somebody you love. Yeah, and I think that mm-hmm. when we add to it, when you think about this next, the very next phrase after you work out your own salvation, with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean be scared, be afraid. It means, I mean, we all know a great reverence. Yeah. This is not something to take lightly. This is not something to think, well, I punched my ticket, I'm ready to go. Who cares? I can do what I want. This is something to where it should be the most important thing in our entire lives. And when you think about what all this is wrapped up in, you know, uh, work out, work towards completing, work towards getting your salvation. You know, that just means live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. That just means live like God has taught you to live. Do that in such a way that is reverent. Don't be flippant about it. Don't take it lightly. And when you think about it, I mean, how could we possibly take our eternal state lightly? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I can take lightly, you know, like spending a couple bucks on lunch. Well, maybe I shouldn't be spending a couple bucks on lunch. Or I can take lightly, you know, uh, five minutes I should be doing this. Instead, mm-hmm. I get caught up doing this. You I've know, seen you do that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but but this is, is different. Yeah, this yeah. is something that shouldn't be just kind of flippantly thinking, well, if this works out, great. If it doesn't, great. Because you're talking about, in this context, that there is no reverence here. We're talking about taking the God of all creation lightly. Mm-hmm. We're talking about taking eternity lightly. And I think if, you know, it's impossible at least in my mind, to really to really be focused on working out your salvation without being reverent. I mean, you can't. We have to be reverent. we got to be sober-minded and, you know, realize what we're doing. Okay, the last thing we want to point out is verse 17. Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. What in the world is he talking about? Well, you can see, he says there, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. Drink offering is something very common, according to the old law, even in a lot of pagan worship settings. Uh, pouring is called a libation. So pouring a drink offering on something is very common. Uh, you can see this language again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 6, where Paul says, I have been poured out as a drink offering. And what this is, and the time of my departure is at hand. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. I'm glad you added that because that's the point of what I'm trying to say. Paul is really, he is even if I'm going to die. I think basically yeah. he's thinking about the very real possibility 
that he could be killed. Because we we talked about a lot in our introductory episode on this letter. Paul's in prison. He's under house arrest. He's waiting to talk to Nero. Now, there's a very real possibility. He doesn't think he's going to be killed that we already read in chapter 1 where he said, mm-hmm. you know, what am I going to do? It's better to die and be with Christ, uh, but for your sake I need to stay here, and that's what I'm going to do. He thinks he's going to survive. And I notice in verse 24 of chapter 2, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Yeah. So that that goes with what he said. He convinced of this, chapter 1, verse 25. So, yeah. you know, it is, it's an if here. Yeah. Even if... Yeah. I'm going to be poured out. So if you want to put it back in that context, you can say, convinced that I'm going to stay here, but even if I don't, yeah, you know, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, which is just the way that Paul describes his time of departure in 2 Timothy, um, even if I die, look what he says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul is saying, even if I die because of this work that I'm doing, because of the work I'm doing to try and help, uh, your offering to God, your offering of faith, even if I am poured out as an mm-hmm. as a drink offering on top of yours, then fine. Yeah. I'm happy about it. You guys should be happy about it too. Now, there are two different imprisonments in Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. The first one is what we're studying about. That's Philippians, Colossians, or I'm sorry, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. That's the first imprisonment probably described in Acts chapter 28. Yeah. The second imprisonment, both in Rome, is 2 Timothy. And that's mm-hmm. the last one. And there is a big difference in the drink offering references in Philippians and 2 Timothy. So in Philippians, I noticed it was even if. And I had noticed this was in Philippians till you pointed out, but... He said, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I think it's very interesting that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's saying, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Oh, yeah. So it's clear that the circumstances have really changed for this man who was, in Philippians, convinced of his release. And in 2 Timothy, he was coming to accept the fact that he was going to be put to death for preaching the gospel. Let's look at a few lessons from this very practical text. I mean, I'm enjoying, after doing, you know, we spent some time in Isaiah and, you know, some other texts that are really dark and hard to hard to wrap our minds around. Philippians is a refreshing change of pace, and we're seeing a lot of practical things, but still, you know, the, the depth is there, as we saw in the last section So, you know, I want to look, first of all, at a very important practical principle from verses 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 2. We've been talking about it ad nauseum. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That, to me, brings this lesson up. God has a responsibility for your salvation, and you have a responsibility for your salvation. Yeah. So... What are they? 
Well, I think if we start... First of all, I think the order is important. I think that Paul is emphasizing to them their end of it, but I'm going to start with God's end to because I want to go back up to what was said in verses 5 and following. I think part of what God has done to work out your salvation is sent His Son Jesus to die for us. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to just disregard that. You know, um, well, uh, this means something other than that. No, that is the biggest thing that He could ever do is to send His Son to die for you and to die, not only die, but be humiliated to death on a cross. So you have that. And in addition to that, I think there are um, other things that that uh, God has done. Um, his, um, his, well, it says that he wills and he works. So I think that's an interesting dichotomy, dichotomy there. Uh, yeah. God does those two things, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not not for our good pleasure, but yeah. for His. What is that? Well, will would be He wants us to be saved. It is His will that we be saved. First Timothy two three and four. He doesn't want any to perish, but to all, but for all to come. No, that's not Timothy. That's second Second Peter three nine says. Um, you know, God is not slow concerning His promises. Some count slowness, but is long suffering, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yeah. And then First uh, Timothy two, three and four says that he doesn't. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what mm-hmm. he wants. That is his will, and that's that's big. God wanting us to be saved. Very different from the Greco-Roman gods that were around in Philippi and the, that the people were used to hearing about. Then what does he do to work for for his good pleasure? In us, well, he reconciles us, he forgives us, he hears our prayers. I believe in the providence of God, but here's what I don't think that means. I don't think that means we can just sit back and let God do everything. I don't think it's just, hey, accept the idea in your mind that Jesus is Lord, and then you don't have another, you can go on living like a heathen if you want to. And I'm afraid that's how some people read this idea that God is working in you, that is not what it means. You know, some people tamper with the plan of salvation. They say, well, you don't have to uh, be baptized in order to be saved, even though passages of Scripture teach that. Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38. And they'll say, well, God does all the work. Well, He does. He does. And baptism is one of His works, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. So uh, He's doing the work, but uh, that doesn't mean that we do not respond to his work. So, what about our part? Well, that's what this whole passage is about. And you kind of gave it in the outline, but I'll go through it a different way. You know, there are several examples of things that we do as our work. Uh, number one, no grumbling and questioning is the way my translation does it. I think I've got an ESV update that, that you're not reading from, because I heard you say disputing. And uh, um, this is an interesting... Yeah. Term. So both of these words are interesting. And, and I, again, this is what the kind of stuff we should do to work out our salvation. Stop grumbling and questioning. Stop grumbling and disputing. Grumbling comes from a Greek word. I'm going to try to say this right. Gonguzmas. Gonguzmas. 
It's supposed to sound like bees buzzing, is Mm. what I read. And um, that's where it came from. It's onomatopoeia. And so, um, you know, it was used in Septuagint of the murmurings, the grumblings of the Israelites. And if it's to be distinguished from the second term, questioning, disputing, some translations say debating, it's that ganguzmas is moral, like just a bad attitude, and disputing is intellectual. Mm. Questioning, so, you know, questioning God's oh. word, questioning God's truths. And and I think there may be something to that. I've heard people, you know, uh, condemn debating, which we don't do a whole lot anymore anyway, but they've condemned debating with this passage of Scripture, and that's not what this is about. This is about the fool who says there is no God. This is about the the person who um, challenges the wisdom of God and wants to argue and question God on every point of the law. It's an intellectual murmuring, whereas the first one is a, just a bad attitude. So all of those are to be eradicated from our lives. That's the negative. And then what else are we to do? Well, we're to be blameless and innocent. Blameless and innocent. Children of God. Uh, when we hear you know, Jesus say, be converted and become like children, Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, that's what he's talking about. And of course, like we talked about in the last part, Christ makes us innocent. You know, uh, we're washing the blood of Jesus. That's that positional holiness. But then we've got to keep the saved saved. And we've got to work on that progressive holiness, staying blameless, mm-hmm. staying whole, um, uh, innocent. And uh, without blemish is another way of putting it. Kind of reminds me of Job. Or, you know, some of those guys yeah. in the Old Testament that were right. called blameless according to the law. Yeah, that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean that he never sinned. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the only person who never sinned. Mm-hmm. But it means that you know, on Judgment Day, God's not going to hold anything against him because of Christ. Yeah, kind of the idea of to where, you know, and I can't remember if I read this earlier this afternoon or if we just talked about it in the last section. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, all running together. Yeah, it's the idea of you know where somebody. I think I read this. Um, you know, people don't have a cause to look at you and criticize. Kind of yeah. to where, you know, the idea of being above reproach. Um, it's mm-hmm. an it's it's the idea of, you know, yeah, maybe you messed up, but you did the right thing after that. You reacted upon it the right way. You know, you were messed up, caught up in this addiction or whatever. Well, you, you did what you had to do to get over it. You know, right. you weren't so blinded or prideful that you couldn't admit that you had a problem, you know, mm-hmm. you admitted it, you moved on, you handled it biblically. I think that's the idea, not that you got to be perfect, you know, like you can never sin, mm-hmm. but it's the idea of try your hardest to do that, and when you mess up, you better make sure that you're, you know, doing what is required of you when you mess up. Yeah. I guess. I, I think that's right. Let me throw one more out. Um... Verse 16, holding fast to the word of light, life, sorry, holding fast to the word of life. I think that's another part of working out your own salvation. And uh, I really think a better translation, I looked into this verb translated holding fast, and I think the New American Standard Bible had it right when it said holding forth, because um, the prefix epi, and you're a little... 
more brushed up on Greek than I am, but epi is the prefix to this word. Okay. And um, doesn't that can't that have a sense of before or out? Yeah, um, I mean, it could mean a ton of different fourth, things. Yeah, there's so many ways. Mm-hmm. The holding part is clear, but that how that preposition that's tacked onto it is supposed to be used, uh, we're not exactly sure. I think, though, that in context, holding forth the word of light in this dark generation that you shine as lights in um, is the, the meaning. And, and the reason why I think that's better than holding fast to it is, to me, holding fast is you're obeying it. Holding forth is you're obeying it and you're preaching it. And yeah. uh, it's evangelistic. You're holding it out in front of you. You're holding it out. Yeah, you're, you're shining it so other people can yeah. see by it as well. And I think that's a responsibility often overlooked by Christians, but a part of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there were three things. don't No grumbling and disputing. Uh, be blameless and innocent without blemish. And hold forth the word of light. And uh, I know that you kind of already gave us an outline in a different way um, at the beginning when we went through it as a, as a reading. But... Those are practical applications. Now, another point of practical application that I want to make, just real quick, is Paul's description of his generation, which is a good description of our generation. Yeah. And uh, he calls it um, crooked and twisted. And this this is like grumbling and disputing. I tried to find, you know, some distinction between those two words, but I basically came to the conclusion that he was just, it's rhetoric. I don't know, yeah. you, you may disagree, but... I think, you know, they both mean the same thing. You yeah. know, it's crooked. It's not, it's bent. And there's this whole view of sin throughout the New Testament of being crooked. Iniquity has the inherent sense of crooked, perverse. And it's all based on the idea that righteousness is God's nature, and anything that is not of God's nature is unrighteousness or sin. Uh, that's in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you've got the glory of God, and then you've got everything that is not the glory of God. That's sin. Mm-hmm. Falls short of it. And then the word in Hebrew and Greek, translated sin, literally means to miss the mark, which is, again, this idea of crooked. Uh, this time, you know, kind of in archery, you shoot an arrow and you miss the, miss the bullseye. That's what yeah. sin is. The bullseye is God. Sin is everything else around God. That's our generation. That was Paul's generation. Don't listen to your culture to try to figure out how you need to live your life. Yeah. You know, this is the bottom line. You need to be distinct, like light in darkness. And one of the things I love about the imagery of light in the New Testament is the reassurance it gives because darkness has no power over light. The only place where darkness can exist is where the light is not. So if you're shining your light, the darkness is not going to overtake you. And uh, this generation can be really intimidating and can uh, get us down, but it won't as long as we're shining our light. Uh, Anything else? Yeah, um, I'm just looking through here. Uh, Roper's commentary. He has got a great. Um, he's got a great quote. Something about uh, our culture that you were talking about. I'm just trying to uh, 
find it here. Um, okay, yeah. He says that we are to shine as light. You know, Paul says we're going to shine as light. Um, that word light is uh, it's a word that's also used for like stars and the sun and moon. Um, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, same word used for stars, sun, and moon. And so uh, Roper kind of draws this uh, illustration or makes a connection here about, you know, the background that we live in, like the backdrop for a Christian, is a crooked and perverse generation, which we've talked about, uh, you know, light, God is light, and apart from him would be darkness. And so that's where we live, is in the darkness. Um, Roper says, whatever terms, he talks about, you know, this Greek word and that Greek word for lights and darkness and crooked and twisted and everything. He says, whatever terms are used, the message is that the world is a dark, dark place. And that we would be the ones, you know, that's the backdrop that, uh, that's the backdrop in which we shine. So he talks about, you know, Paul says here, you know, um, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a really vivid imagery, you know, all through, and I think it's really interesting how Paul does it, John does it, and, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus does it in all yeah. four Gospels. Yeah. And it's... But what do we do? We yeah. play flashlight tag. Yeah. You know, we, and say, that's what we, we're like, why is it, why, you know, why are people drawn to Christ? It's because we're shining our lights in a well-lit room, and light doesn't show up in a well-lit room. Yeah. But it really shows up and makes a difference in a dark world. So go out there, hold fast, hold forth the word of light, mm-hmm. and uh, you'll shine. There's no doubt about it. That's all the time we've got. I appreciate everybody joining us. It's a real honor when people tell us that they've been listening. Please tell your friends about it. Look us up on the web at the66.net. Follow us on Twitter at the66podcast. Give us some feedback. Uh, you can email Andrew at akingsley at arcoc.com or me at dkaiser at arcoc.com. Next week we're going to continue our study of the book of Philippians. We're going to finish up chapter 2. Hope that you'll join us then. 